Hey, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Welcome. Hey, let's say hello to all our friends at all the campuses. It's good to do that every time we're together. At Edgewood and Bel Air and Mountain Road, Abingdon, online, welcome. Helps us remember that we're kind of connected to people that aren't in the room where we are. So welcome if you're a guest here. Hey, uh, can I start with a joke? Is that all right? Oh, well, a lot of enthusiasm in the place. I can tell you're already excited. That might be because of past jokes you have experience with. Uh, so this guy dies and uh, goes to heaven. And of course, oh, we all know the Bible says you meet Peter at the pearly gates, right? So that's a joke also. Uh, so yeah, it means Peter's like, uh, well, uh, before I can let you in, is there anything remarkable about your life that I should note here in the record? And he says, well, there is that one thing. And he says, well, what's that? He says, well, one time I was, I was driving through Wyoming and I pulled off at this little cafe out in the, in the country. And no sooner had I got in than this big old nasty gnarly group, big, big group of, uh, bikers came in. They were wearing Hell's Angels stuff, big guys, tattoos and gnarly beards and all this stuff. They were, they, were, they were awful. And they started harassing this young, poor, defenseless girl behind the counter. They were threatening her. And so I just walked right up to them. And I said, look, I asked them kindly. I warned them. I said, you better, you better knock it off. And they wouldn't listen. So I went to the biggest one, the guy with big arms popping out of his vest. And I just smacked him right upside the head. I grabbed his nose ring, pulled it out, stomped it on the ground, went outside and pushed his bike over. And I came back in and I said, look, you better just get on out of here or I'll kick the tar out of all you. And Peter said, wow, that is kind of remarkable, actually. He says, when did this happen? He says, about five minutes ago. (laughs) So there's something. Um, so let me ask you a question. When you're in trouble, when, when you're kind of surrounded, when you're in a bind, where do you turn? When, when, you're, when you find yourself in one of those situations where it's like, like you're really scared about something. Or maybe, you're, maybe someone wronged you. Or... You're feeling kind of particularly lonely about something. Where do you turn? When, uh, when you're upset, when you're sad, when you're in trouble, where do you turn? This is the question we're going to deal with today. Where, where do we turn? We're, we're in the series called Thread, right? And it's all about this concept of how everybody has a thread that kind of unites their life, like it kind of pulls everything together. What's your thread? And of course, it's a way for us to kind of look at the life of David, this man from Scripture that that held on to the thread. God was his thread. In fact, it says of him in Acts 13, when it's describing this guy, I mean, look at the description in Acts 13 of David. After Saul, who was the king before him, was removed, he made David their king. And this is what God said about him. I found David to be a man after my own heart. Who wouldn't want that said of you? And that was David. He walked with God closely most of the time. But like us, he had a life of ups and downs, and through it all, God was his thread. And that's why he's a good one to look at on this question of where do you turn? Because uh, what I want to show you as we kind of look through several different things in his life is David looked at least in kind of, as I could think of it, three key places, and they really provided some sources of strength for him that I think could help us to so I want to give them to you today. Let's jump in, okay? Three, three things that every one of us can say, and I want you to be able to say when you leave here today, yeah, that's, that's where I turn, okay? 
So let's jump in. A lot of people probably think that when David, remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how when he was little, he killed that giant, Goliath, Goliath of Gath, right? And a lot of people thought, well, he was anointed as the king and he moved right into the, into the Oval Office after that. Not true. In fact, after the pinnacle of David's success, after riding high on the notoriety that came with killing the giant, David actually dove into one of the deepest periods of despair in his life. And by looking at that period of his life, we can learn a lot about where you turn when things become unraveled. A lot of that was because uh, the king, Saul, who was still on the throne, kind of went nuts. Spirit of God left him. He went raving mad. He got jealous and angry and tries to start killing David and chasing him all over the place. And God raised up for David in that time period a friend. A friend. In, in, in a low moment, one of the key sources of help for David was a guy named Jonathan. A close friend, like, a, like an intimate friend, like a, like a special share stuff with you kind of friend. And ironically, Jonathan was Saul, the king's son. And they became really close friends, David and Jonathan. Uh, look, take a look at 1 Samuel 18. It describes this. It says that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. That's a close friendship. Another translation says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Another translation says they immediately found a deep bond. Kind of describes it. You got people in your life like that? You just kind of hit it off. It's like, I like that person. We connect, we click, we feel like, like kindred spirits, like someone you feel safe with. You got someone like that in your life? Most of us have, if, if, we're, if we're lucky, we have one, maybe two, sometimes in a whole lifetime, an intimate kind of friend. It's not probably necessarily a Facebook type of friend, right? It's someone that's a, it's more than a casual acquaintance. This is someone you could call at 2 a.m. because you got their number and you wouldn't like have to apologize and say, I'm sorry, I'm calling. Around here, we call that refrigerator right, someone with refrigerator rights. Because when they come to your house, you don't have to say, can I get you something to drink? Because they're already in the fridge digging around. That's it. How many of you are nurturing a friendship like that? You know, I think the truth is, and not very many of us. And if you're someone who can call to my names right now if someone in that category of close intimate Jonathan like friends you're blessed and you need to nurture that friendship and the truth is that a lot of us maybe struggle with this I think especially men according to the studies I read and the experiences that I have in my own life with others I think there's a friend deficit we're so busy and we're so afraid and we're so private and we're so superficial and we don't have opportunities to connect because we're just kind of on the go with people. And there's a breakdown of friendship. We're kind of socially frozen out a little bit. And, you know, God made us um, for close friends. It's, it's part of the design of the human person not to be isolated. So I just wonder what that could look like in your life if you took that as something that maybe was supposed to happen because sometimes when you don't know where to turn, God sends a friend to you. 
But, you know, if you're thinking about what, the, what would that be, or is this friend one of those, or maybe it could be, uh, let me give you some of the marks of what I, what I think that is by looking at Jonathan. You know, one of the things Jonathan did for David is he sacrificed for him, like he gave stuff to him. He was a giver, and they, they shared whatever he needed. Like one time, he took off his robe, he gave it to David, his tunic, and even his sword and his belt. He gave him stuff. And at one time, point, 1 Samuel 20, they, Jonathan just says, tell me whatever I can do to help. You know, that's, that's a friend, you know, whatever it is. Got anybody saying that to you? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Another thing Jonathan did is he stood up for him. He stuck up for David. Saul, his, his own dad, Jonathan's own father was trying to kill David. And you know what? He stood up to his dad. He's like, you're wrong about David. And you shouldn't be doing this. He didn't do anything wrong. To the king, to his father, who, you know, might have turned on Jonathan. But you need somebody who will kind of, who's got your back when you're not around. That's what friends do. The other thing he did is he encouraged David. Like, I love that word, encouraged. It literally means to put the courage back into someone. Because sometimes you get in a place in life and you're kind of like, you lose your nerve. You're like, maybe I can't. You feel weak. You feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a screw-up. And you don't know. What you need is someone to come around and say, no, no, no. I see you. I see in you. And, and, and put the courage back in you so you get back to your full self. That's what, that's what a friend does. That's, a, that's an intimate Jonathan friend. That's what Jonathan did for David. In fact, I love this verse. Look at this verse, 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 and 16. One day David heard that Saul was trying to kill him, and Jonathan went to David and encouraged him. And I love that, but look what else it says. To stay strong in his faith in God. That's the best kind of friend. One who not just, here's the criteria, someone who loves you but also loves God and will encourage you to love God. Let me say that again. Someone who not just loves you but loves God and will encourage you to love God. That's the best kind of friend. If you're a Christ follower, you need lots of relationships, and God wants us to be building bridges everywhere. But for this, what we're talking about, that special friend, you need a fellow Christ follower because your allegiance will be, you can't knit your soul to that friend if their soul isn't knit to Christ and have it function at this level. You'll be what the Bible calls unequally yoked, and it won't function in the way we're talking about. You need someone who knows God and knows you, who loves Jesus and loves you. And Jonathan found in some of his... David found some of his lowest moments someone like Jonathan who who showed up to say I'm here and I'm with you he sacrificed for him he encouraged him and he and he um he stuck up for him even Jesus you know had that group of really inner close friends when Jesus was going through the toughest period of his life he ends up by the Mount of Olives in, in the Garden of Gethsemane and he doesn't call the crowds. He doesn't call even the 12. He just, a couple of buddies. Will you come with me and hang out with me? You know, that place literally means where the olive press is what that word means. It's like, it's like this olive, when you squeeze an olive, like the stuff comes out, the, the olive oil comes out. And that was the place of squeezing literally where Jesus was when he was really under the pressure. And that's when he called his closest intimate friends. So who do you call when you're really pressured and squeezed in your garden like that? That, that, that? That's what we need. Johnny Erickson Tata is a name that's known to some of you. Um, she's from Maryland, actually. Many years ago, she had a diving accident and paralyzed herself from the, I think, shoulders down. She tells about 
that horrific experience of months in the hospital afterwards and so painful and also just emotionally exhausting and draining, just worried about her future, mad at God, wondering what was going to happen to her. She would be in this bed and they had to strap her in because they had to bed sores and all. They had to actually flip her upside down like a traction position. It was awful. She remembers many nights in that hotel, everyone gone home, lights off in that room, just sort of lying there in, in agony with puddle of tears on the linoleum below where she's hanging upside down in this room. One night she's in that position just feeling at her lowest. And she thinks she hears something, so she turns her head as far as she can see over to the side and she thinks she sees the shadow of someone moving. And then she realizes it's someone crawling and she figures out it's her friend who has snuck past the nurse's station and broken through the double doors and is crawling down the corridor of the hospital and into her room to see her. She says in that moment, now the tears really came, but for a different reason. Just to know that she had come and she just got so filled up and her spirit was buoyed. And they laughed and giggled in that little hospital room together. Oh, the difference a friend can make. Wow, my goodness. And we all know this. Some of us have forgotten it. It's been so long. But it's what we're made for. And we need a friend like that who will sneak into a hospital room at night for us, who is a Jonathan to us, who can be with us in the pressure moments. And that's God's plan. Sometimes he sends you a friend. Ecclesiastes 4 says that two are better than one. It's just common sense. They can help each other. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I bet some of us are in real trouble because if we fall, we're alone. So God sent David a friend because God loves friendship. It's how he dialed us up to work. And he can do that for you. I mean, some of us are not sure about that, but I promise you he can do that for you. So here, I'm going to give you an action point, give you three big takeaways today. And here's the first one. Here it is. Ready? Pray for a friend. Will you say that with me? Pray for a friend. Try to remember that. Pray for a friend. Starting now, like through this summer, pray for a friend. I don't mean like pray for your friends. I mean pray to God. God, would you help there to be a friend like that in my life? Pray for it. Now, if you've got that, nurture it, develop and invest in it. If you don't pray about it, nurture it, cultivate it, look for it, pursue it, wait for it, seek it, work at it, think about it, but most of all, pray about it. God, would you send someone to my life who can be a friend like Jonathan so we could perhaps give and sacrifice for each other, stick up for each other, and encourage one another. When they show up, don't, don't smother them. Oh, you're my Jonathan. I love you. You complete me. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't get weird out on me here. Sometimes they have a way of surprising you and not being who you expect. And sometimes God provides this through multiple people at once. And sometimes they're family members. Sometimes they're not. Number one is what? Say it with me. Pray for a friend. So you've got to do that. That's a takeaway. Probably won't happen if you don't pray for a friend. You remember from Kirk's message last week, if you were here, how David spent some time running away from Saul and he spent some time hiding in caves as a result. 1 Samuel 22, the first verse there, says that David left Gath and escaped 
to the cave of Adullam. Sometimes you just need to get away and you go to this cave, this dark place. In, in one of the lowest moments of his life, he goes to a cave. You ever heard someone say that about someone? Boy, she's really in a dark place. Well, that's kind of a descriptor for where you're at your low point. And David is literally in a dark place, in a cave. And, 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 and where do you turn? He's alone in this cave. But look what God did. Look what God did. He's all by himself. He's alone. And then the second part of 22.1 says, soon his brothers, and all his other relatives joined him there. This is kind of humorous when you think about it. Here goes David, just going to go get away from the world. He's going to go die and hide in the cave, and then pretty soon here comes his brother. He's crushed, and he's broken in spirit. And then his another brother, his another brother, and then all his other relatives. It's a family reunion because God brings a community around David. He may not even wanted him there. I don't know. He crawled in that cave to, to get away from everybody and hide, and they crawled in with him. That's what a real family does. Now, these guys, I don't know where they were before. When he was little, remember, they dissed him. When he were in, they were looking for who was king material, they didn't even think of David. And when it was time for the battle of Goliath, they, was, they didn't pay him any respect at all. But now, real family shows up when you need them. That's what real family does. And God often uses them to encourage us. <laughs> it gets more humorous to me. It, it, the crowd grew. They're in this cave. Now they're huddled around, and then look what happens in verse 2. Then others began coming. This is a big cave, apparently. You got who, but what kind of crowd? Men who were in trouble or in debt or were just discontented. A bunch of lowlifers got nothing better to do than go hang out in a cave until David was the captain of about 400 men. You hear that? So here's quite a motley crew. These guys, they're broke. They're stressed out. They're, they're a bunch of complainers. They're the whiner and malcontents. David already feels like a worm, and now he's got 400 other worms that climb in with him. What a mess, but God's at work here. See, God is rerouting David's life because now that cave is no longer a sort of escape hatch. Now that cave is no longer a pit of despair. It is a training ground for these gathered friends who now will become eventually David's mighty men of valor, his band of brothers, his his cabinet when he is king. They are his special forces unit when he leads the Israeli army. And it all started in his moment of despair when he was at a low point and they're at a low point. They go together in the cave and that's what real community looks like. That's the second thing that God provides David when, you, when he's asking, where do you turn? You turn to a community. You turn to a group of people, to friends. That's what groups are. It's why we talk incessantly about groups at Mountain because if you're here and you're still looking at the back of someone's head in the big screen, you're getting a lot, but you're getting a fraction of what you could get out of life and out of God because you're not meant to do life alone. We're meant to do it in what? Group. Some kind of connection in a group. Christianity cannot be done all by yourself. It's not a solo sport. Jesus never called someone and said, follow me by yourself. He always put them in groups and collections. And he leads a family and a a sort of group like that. Fellowship. God sends people into your cave with you. So you have have a terrible week. You're upset at work. Maybe you have some marital stuff going on. Or a spiritual bottom out or some issue with your parents or something happens. Your dog dies. Your truck won't start and your trailer burns down you're a bad country song okay and then tuesday night rolls around or wednesday morning or saturday afternoon whenever your group meets you just want to go crawl in your cave and here they come crawling in with you and like how can we help they bring food or they hang out my buddy 
buddy that uh, was really, really needing and hoping to get the job, got the word, didn't get the job. But he's got a group, crawls into the cave with him. That just happened here recently. Someone else's son died, and they were enfolded immediately with family-like relationships from this church, from their group. When someone's house burnt down, that's what happens. Groups show up. When it's like, we're so happy for you, can we just help you throw the graduation party? That's a group. Can we raise our kids together? Can we do life together? Can we bounce ideas? Can I, can I bring some food? Yeah, I've, I've got a tool for that. That's the kind of thing that we're meant to. Here's the second takeaway. What's the first one? Pray for a friend. Number two, invest in a group. Invest in a group. Here's what I'm saying. Invest means it's going to cost you something. It's why some of you haven't done it. Because you won't pay the price. It's like you're too scared or you think you're too busy. But you make that investment, you, you ante up and you invest something, I promise you, you'll have a huge ROI. Huge return on your investment. But you've got to make the investment. Invest in a group, some kind of collection. Maybe it's rooted in the fall. Uh, we've got a thousand people at Mountain have jumped into a rooted group. If you're not one of them, I hope you jump in this fall. You're not going to regret it. This summer, we've got these things called uh, campus groups, and, and um, there's an IF study happening. It's called IF, and it's all about what God can do in your life. Just crawl out of your cave or let someone crawl into yours. I don't know, but be, let, let yourself land in a group where you can know others and be known, where you can love others and be loved and serve others and be served as well, but you've got to make an investment. You won't regret it. So where do you turn? Where do you turn? Pray for a friend. Invest in a group. Okay? You got time for one more, or you got to go? You good? Let's do one more then. Let me give you one more. Remember, you ever play hide-and-seek, you know, when you were a kid? And, uh, you know, all, everybody kind of standing around in a circle, and you're it. Okay, so you're it. You're standing, you got all your friends standing there looking at you, kind of giggling, excited, thinking of where they're going to, you know. So then you got to count. How, how high did you count? What do you guys count to? Ten? Wow, you got fast friends. Ten. Our, our place is just Carl and I, so it's like a hundred now because we're slower than we used to be. So whatever, you're counting. You're counting, and then you get to done counting, you look up, and it's like, oh, person was right there, they're gone. <laughs> person was right there, they're gone. Person was right there, it's gone. Person right there, it's gone. Everybody's gone. That's the way it's supposed to go in, in that game. But sometimes in life, you kind of end up feeling like that. You ever notice that? You didn't know you were playing hide-and-seek and that you're it, but you look up and it's like everybody's gone. It doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel like a game. And where do you turn when certain moments come and it seems like there's nobody, even that friend and that group sometimes can't be there for you in a way? There are moments in life that happen to David. And everything unraveled. If you go back to 1 Samuel 19, remember now, David was promoted into Saul's army. He's a big shot. He leads a whole battalion. He's winning battles. He's getting pressed and headlines. Everybody loves him. And then Saul goes crazy and takes it all away. And he loses his good position. He was taken away from him. Never again would he serve in Saul's army. You ever lost a job? You ever had like a title that was yours stripped away from you? Or a role in life that sort of gave you a sort of sense of identity? A little bit of like, I know who I am because I'm a mom, and then you're not really a mom like that anymore? Or you used to have a job, and in retirement you feel sort of lost? Or a business owner whose business collapses? 
Sometimes we find our security in positions and places or finances sometimes. And when that stuff goes away, man, it's scary and it hurts and it sort of rattles us. And that security and strength we felt in that stuff, all of a sudden we're sort of like, like you're playing hide and seek. So where'd that go? That's what happened to David. And he lost something else. He lost his wife. Remember, remember when um, he was, uh, Goliath was scaring everybody and Saul said, whoever kills the giant will be able to marry my daughter. I don't know if you remember that. That was one of the deals. Well, David, David uh, stepped up to that deal. Uh, Saul finds out that one of his daughters, Michal, has the hots for David. He thinks, well, this will work out good for me because she'll want to marry him and he'll want to marry her, but I'll use it as a way to kill David. So he raises the dowry on his daughter and says, no problem, you can marry her, just you got to kill 100 Philistines. He figures that's a surefire way to kill off David. Well, David does kill 100 Philistines. He gets to marry Michal, and now David is even more crazy, angry, and wants to kill him. So he makes a plan to come and kill David in the morning before he gets out of bed. Michal, Saul's daughter, married to David now, hears about it, tips David off, and helps him escape. Saul is furious, and he comes after his daughter. He says, what in the world? You, you, you helped my enemy. And she lies to her dad and says, I had to. He threatened to kill me if I didn't. And in that moment, David's wife deliberately walked away from him. Never again would they live together in harmony. And the lie certainly didn't help David because now Saul is even more furious and trying to kill him even more. And if you've ever had a spouse walk away from you or choose someone else or pass away, as happened with some of our friends this week, you know it's a horrible loss, and that's what happened to David. He lost his position. He lost his wife. Things are being stripped away. He heads off to the hills. First Samuel 19, verse 18, it says, David escaped from there and went to Ramah to see old Samuel. Samuel, his old wise mentor friend, his sort of father figure in his life, that counselor, that trusted sort of older person in your life you can always lean on, always turn to, and that's where he runs. And it says they went up to a little place called Nioth, which in archaeological digs we've learned had all kinds of houses built like condominiums on top, and, and it's probably why they went there because the houses were in a maze-like fashion and you could like get lost there and no one would ever find you. Well, guess what? Saul finds him. And just about the time he starts hanging out with his wise, trusted mentor, counselor friend Samuel, David has to run again and now he's lost him too. He lost his position, he lost his wife, and now he's lost his Samuel. So he turns to his good old close friend, Jonathan. He catches up to Jonathan who, who finally try, just tries to really encourage him and David says, what, why is your dad trying to kill me? I didn't do anything wrong. What's going on? And Jonathan says, oh, no, that doesn't sound right. My dad didn't do anything without telling me. David says, I'm, I'm telling you, he is trying to kill me. Jonathan says, I don't think, well, I'll find out. Here's it, we'll make a plan. He says, David, you just hide here behind that rock in the field, and I'll come shooting arrows tomorrow. And um, if I find out from my dad that, in fact, he's trying to kill you. When I shoot the arrows, I'll get a little messenger boy. And when I send the messenger boy to pick up my arrows, I'll say, hey, look a little further out. And that word will be a cue for you to keep running because it's not safe. But if I say, hey, the arrows are on this side of you, it means come on in and the coast is clear. And sure enough, Jonathan finds out from his dad that his dad is dark raving mad and trying to kill David. And so he goes out and shoots those arrows and he sends a messenger boy and he says the arrows are way further out. 
And he knows as soon as he says that, he's sending David away. And the messenger boy leaves, and those two have a moment to embrace because now he's lost Jonathan too. And he's on the run again in a really low and discouraged place as all the things are stripped away out of his life that he had come to depend on. He lost his position. He lost his wife. He lost his counselor. He lost his closest friend in Jonathan. And sometimes when that happens, you start kind of just losing something about yourself. And that happened to David as well. Final blow, he kind of loses some self-respect. Look, so, look how desperate David becomes where he turns. First Samuel 21, verse 10. David escaped from Saul and went to the king of Achish of Gath. The king of Achish was his name, and he's of Gath. Remember where Gath was? Remember Goliath of Gath? Here goes David right to enemy headquarters, to the Oval Office of the Philistine people. Like, he's going to go there for his refuge. Of course they recognize him. You're the dude that killed Goliath. And immediately he recognizes this was a dumb idea. And he can't think of anything else to do. So look what he does. Chapter 21, verse 12 and 13. David goes there and now he's like, he killed the giant, but he's afraid of the king. And so he pretends to be insane. And he starts scratching on the doors and writing on the gates and drooling God his beard and rolling his eyes and acting all nuts. He's at rock bottom. This guy's in a pathetic place and the king sees him and goes i got enough nut jobs around here i don't need another crazy man get him out of here and here's david he had a position in life and he lost it he had a wife and she left him he had a counselor and a mentor and he doesn't anymore and now even his best friend is gone and his self-respect is eroded his confidence is gone and he's scared and there's david in a game of hide and seek it's like where'd everybody go David's like, all by myself. You don't want me to sing that, but that's where he was. You know, I don't know exactly how this works. I don't know, but I think sometimes God maybe allows us to experience things like that where all of the things we depend on are stripped away so that at the end, we finally know the only thing we have to turn to is him. Sometimes we, we tend to look in the horizontal and grab a hold of things, even friends or family. And we try to make them substitutes for God. We, we try to like use them as our security, use those things or that relationship, that financial stability as our, as our refuge, as our security, and rely on them to supply our needs. And when they are, when they are stripped away, it's in those moments of clarity that we finally realize all I've got is God. And that's when God says, I'm enough. When you got nobody, you got somebody. Isaiah 41 are words that David finally heard and you need to hear. God says, don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't be discouraged, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my victorious right hand. Deuteronomy 33. God says, the eternal God is your, what's the word? Refuge, your cave, your safety place. 
And his everlasting arms are under you. Somebody needs to hear that today, that you've got everlasting arms of God. It's God's way of saying, I got you. I, I know that you're feeling in a free fall. You know you feel alone. God says, I got you. I know you're worried. Someone's panicking. Someone's stressed out. Someone's like, you just need to hear. Everlasting arms are there. I got you. You can lean on the everlasting arms. Don't let anything become a substitute for God. Don't always look in the horizontal. Sometimes you just got to look in the vertical. You look up and guess what? He's there. And he will never leave or forsake you. Now David had to press through and learn this a couple of times in his life, just like we probably do. We kind of know it up here, but sometimes we don't, we don't really depend on the Lord. We don't call on the Lord. Let me tell you just one more incident in David's life. It's kind of one of my favorite depressing stories of David. <laughs> because it speaks to me so much, I bet it'll speak to you too. Because it's not only a time in his life when he's at rock bottom or a dark night of the soul. It's a time when he's wandering from the Lord a little bit, like drifting I'll bet you know something about that. David almost loses his thread. You look at chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, and it just says words you might not think anything about. It says, David said to himself, but, it, but when you stop and realize that's the problem, he's talking to himself now. He's not listening to the Lord. He's not talking to the Lord. In fact, this whole time period is going through all this tough stuff. He doesn't write any psalms. He doesn't talk to the Lord. He doesn't listen to the Lord. And that's the problem, friends. When we start just talking to ourselves and stop listening to the Lord and stop heeding the promises of God, we're in trouble. That's exactly where David is. And he starts to ignore all the promises of God. God says, you're going to be the king. David's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I know it. Everything's bad. He gets real negative. He gets real pessimistic. That's what happens when you talk to yourself and stop listening to the Lord. Everyone told him, you're going to be king. Samuel said it. Abigail confirmed it. Saul even said it. Jonathan said it. God told all these people, confirmed it. David's like, no, I don't believe it. That's what happens when you talk to yourself and stop listening to the promises of God. And one more thing, by the way, you notice in this period of David's life, he's kind of wandering. He's, he's not living like a man after God's own heart. And when you do that, you'll always drag other people with you. You know, we don't think that that matters. We think sometimes our spiritual malaise we find ourselves in is just between me and God. It's never that way. When you sin, when you're spiritually weak or sick, when you, when you disconnect from God, when you stray from the promises of God, when the voices that you're cueing off of are your own and not God's, when you ignore God's voice, it, it affects those around you. David is there. He's got his whole family. He's dragging off into the countryside away from the people of God. He's got 600 people, 600 of his guys now following him and all of their families. And they're wandering around in Gath again. When you compromise, when, when you make poor decisions, it affects those who depend on you, who trust in you. They need you to be at your best. Anything less than that contaminates them. And David is kind of off the grid with God for like over a year in a spiritual slump. And at a particularly low point, he's taken these guys, this band, and they go out and they're doing these raiding missions and he's beating up on people like the Amalekites. They live in a little place. It's not part of Israel. They're living over under the protection of, of the king of Gath, the Philistines, in a place called Ziklag. And, and 1 Samuel 30 describes what happens one day when they're out and about. They come home to Ziklag. And one of the guys, that they, one of the Amalekites had been there and completely destroyed their village. Burned it to the ground. It's still smoking. Their houses are gone. Their crops, everything is gone. And their wives... And their children have been hauled off in slavery. 
talk about a low moment. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 4 says, When David and his men saw the ruins and they realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. That's a poignant phrase. And David's two wives were also among those captured. So David's got the village he's responsible for. His own wives are all, and, and kids are gone. And then it says in verse 6 that David was even in greater danger because now his men start turning on him. They're so heartbroken because of their own daughters and sons that they talk about killing David themselves. That's a pretty low place. And at rock bottom there, in the bottom of that pit, I want to go back to that verse. I want to go back to that verse. Chapter 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. But David found strength where? In the Lord his God. Because there was nobody else. And that's where you need to find it sometimes too. You strengthen yourself in the Lord. At his lowest place, David looks up. Finally, he said, oh God, help me. And he gets back on track and he stays on track with God. He, he learned to say, and this is why he wrote in Psalm 46, you know what? Gath isn't my refuge. God is my refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And that's true for you and it's true for me. Pray for a friend. Invest in a community. You know what else? Call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. And don't wait till he's the only option left. Call on the Lord. Sometimes you drop so low, the only place you can look is up. And guess what? He's there. I don't know what you're going through right now. There's a lot going on. You know, if you know Joe Liturgy on our staff, our finance director passed this week. Another friend, Cynthia, passed this week. Dear friends, and you know, there's people always going through stuff. And maybe you're going through stuff. Maybe you're... Maybe you're discouraged or deflated. Maybe you're sort of stressed or sinning. Maybe you're tempted or tired. I don't know what's going on right now. Where do you turn? Where do you turn? How do you find the thread? Pray for a friend. So see what had happened this summer if you got serious about that. It could be a game changer. Invest in a group. Something for you to do there. Don't wait for it to blow in. Invest in it. Call on the Lord. When you play hide and seek and you look up and it's like, where did everybody go? When there is nobody, you got somebody. You've got a shelter. You've got a refuge. David says in Psalm 31, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. He says, God, I'm not hiding in a cave anymore. You are my hiding place. You are my rock. You are my refuge. You are my protection. You are my resting place. And guess what? There's room in that cave for you. You can come to that same place that has another name. We know the rock and the refuge and the cave by another name today. His name is Jesus. Let me give you a special bonus takeaway today, a bonus track, all right? On the way in, you should have received this. Just practical gift for you to have today. Maybe tuck it somewhere in a book or Bible devotional thing. It's just called Psalms in Real Life. David wrote about half of the 150 Psalms that are located right in the middle of your Bible. If I could give a prescription to every one of you, it would be like this. I'd write out, I'd write out in real sloppy uh, writing like doctors do, one Psalm a day. And then I would go, as if that was my signature, and I'd hand it to you. 
one psalm a day. And maybe you don't know which one. Well, here you go. I've helped you with that. I've gone through the whole book of Psalms, and I've grouped them into categories so you can know where to look when. Whatever sock you need to put on, because however your feet are feeling that day, you've got it right here. So maybe, maybe you know what, you're amidst the struggle, you need a word from the Lord because you're facing death, or you're depressed, or you're afraid, or you're sad, or you need a healing. Those are all headings. I've grouped them that way. Maybe you're lonely. It's, it's persecution. You're tired. Whatever it is, here it is. Or maybe you need to cry out to the Lord and know that God hears your prayer. Let the Psalms be your prayer. You can just use them. And this will tell you which ones. Or maybe you need assurance that God's going to come through and forgive your sin or, you know, maybe uh, to help you uh, with, with courage or, or strength or protection or you just want to have him help you do the right thing or trust in his word or whatever it is. It's all here. It's all right there in the psalm. It'll help you know where you can use that to call out to the Lord. Same with me, will you? Okay, let's try it again. One more, t- one more time. Three things. Three, where do you turn? Where do you turn? Where do you turn? Let's pray. God, help us to do these things. To pray for a friend and to invest in a group and to call on you as our refuge and our strength. Forgive us for substituting other weak, false gods as our idols, our toys of occupation, but to turn to you, Lord, as our deepest desire so we can say we have the thread and we are men and women after your own heart. We pray it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Yeah, I, I hope you're enjoying the, the David series called Thread. I invite some friends. We've got some really hard-hitting, important stuff to cover in the next few weeks. Before we dismiss, I just want to say welcome if you're a guest. Thanks for coming. Really mean it. And uh, there's a guy over here, Zach. Hey, Zach, go see Zach. He'd love to give you a gift and hang out with you if you're new here and just give you a, a couple things before you leave. And then uh, if you have something touching your heart, you want to just have someone pray with you or tell someone a decision you want to make, meet us right up here. If you want to rise to your feet, I want to read to you one of my favorite psalms as we dismiss. I want to send you out with this. I, I, this is one I call on all the time. I called on it this week. Here's what it says. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? In other words, where do you turn? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. I, 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 I called on this psalm this week because my dad had surgery on Wednesday. He's in Minnesota. I'm here. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Dad came through just fine. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He will keep you from harm and watch over your life. And my friend, hear these words. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. God bless you. See you next week.